You're listening to Meeting Pod, the podcast powered by Meeting Place, the premier magazine and news source for the meat and poultry processing industry, and Alt Meat Magazine, the only business information resource for the exploding alternative meat industry. Hi, I'm Julie Larson Brisher, Science and Technology Editor for Meeting Place Magazine. Welcome to episode 32 of Meeting Pod, where we're chewing on new mouth behavior research with Dr. Rhonda Miller, professor with the Department of Animal Science at Texas A&M University. Before joining the faculty at Texas A&M, Rhonda was director of research and development at Montfort, the second largest beef and pork packer in the U.S. During her tenure at Montfort, she developed more than 300 new meat products for its further process division. Today, Rhonda conducts research on the quality, quantity, safety, and usefulness of meat and meat products through her appointment with the Texas Agricultural Experiment Station. Rhonda is highly regarded for her expertise in sensory evaluation. Since 1988, she has been director of the Sensory Science Evaluation Laboratory, where a variety of meat and food products are evaluated for flavor and palatability. The lab's expert-trained descriptive attribute sensory panel provides support for university meat scientists and faculty, as well as for the meat and poultry industry and other institutions. I'm excited to have Rhonda on the podcast today to discuss the groundbreaking sensory research on mouth behavior co-developed by Texas A&M and the Understanding and Insight Group. Mouth behavior involves aspects of chewing and the way we hold or manipulate food in our mouth and goes beyond what would traditionally be called food texture or the physical properties of chewing. It's a research and development framework on how consumers interact with food that promises to have big implications for the meat industry. But I'll let Rhonda tell the story. Welcome to Meeting Pod, Rhonda. It's really an honor to have you as a guest on the podcast today. Thank you very much, Julie. It's exciting to be here. I'm always willing to talk about new innovations, especially when it involves eating meat. So thank you for for your time. (laughs) Well, let's get right to it. So what is mouth behavior and why is it important that meat processors know about it? Well, one of the parts of mouth behavior, when Jennifer Vahalik, who is with the UNI Corporation, one of the owners, one of the partners, she talked about how when they worked with companies, food companies, on food products, they were finding out that consumers manipulated food differently in their mouth. And she was, Jennifer worked as an, on her master's project with me, our master's program, and also as a student worker her senior year. And so we have a really good relationship and we followed each other's careers. And so we're sitting out talking about this. I'm like, well, what about meat? Don't you think that that affects meat? And so then she proceeded to tell me how they have identified crunchers and chewers and smushers and suckers. And conversation was great. We were both actually at the Research Chef Association's meeting. I was talking about meat flavor. She was talking about texture in the next room. And like, we should have been on together. And so as we talked about and kind of continued to develop the idea, it's like, I think we need to find out if people carry that same behavior over to meat. And it's important because the food industries use that information to target their marketing. And, you know, in the meat industry, we do some target marketing, but we don't always understand our consumers in the same way as the rest of the food industry. 
And this was just a different way of thinking about it. And I actually went back into the literature, the sensory literature, especially the meat science literature, which really didn't start until the 1940s and is still a little bit limited and really didn't develop until the 1970s. You know, we haven't looked at anything but muscle fiber tenderness, connected tissue amount, and then our traditional hardness and ground beef. Those were all from the 70s and before the 1950s. And I think as we look at our consumers, you know, I measure tenderness with consumers. I measure tenderness with my descriptive panel. And then I try to look at the relationships and they aren't very strong. That's okay, but they're consistent. But there's a lot of information that we don't know. And so this just sparked my, I guess, my curiosity, my desire to think, oh, there's something going on there. And consumers, they don't can't walk up to a consumer on the street and say, are you a cruncher, a chewer, a smusher, or a sucker? Now they probably walk away and say, this is a person that probably don't need to associate with. They're crazy. They don't know what they are. They just know what they like. And so this is a way to give us some increased insight into how our products are perceived by consumers and help us as an industry to develop those products. And target them towards those specific consumer groups. I got all excited. That's great. My next question was going to be, what do you find so interesting about mouth behavior research? But you may have just told me. Yeah, I I probably have. I always (laughs) tell lots of things at once. But the other thing, I guess, just to kind of continue in that vein, after Jennifer and I had this conversation, I started talking to people. And I found out even in my own household, there are differences in mouth behavior. And that my daughter is most likely a smusher. Now, if I told her you're a smusher, she wouldn't like that. But what she does and what she likes and how texture affects what she likes and eats is really important. And she thinks about food differently. So I'm like, ah, this is an untapped area that as a meat science community, we haven't even talked about. And so I thought, wow, this might give us some better insight into what the consumer's thinking and how they're behaving. I know what you've been doing. You've recently conducted research on how mouth behavior affects a person's enjoyment of ground beef patties. So what were some of the big findings from that research uh, or that area of your research and what surprised you? So I can tell you that I didn't know what to expect. And Jennifer came down and ran the session. So what we did on our part, my graduate student, Kylie Burris, and I, is we sit down and said, okay, we're going to need to give these consumers six hamburgers is all we could give them. And that took two hours, two and a half hours. And we wanted them to differ in texture and differ in fat content. So we ended up having, we served two hamburgers at once. The first set was 93% lean, eight ounce hamburger, and the other one was a 73% lean so that we could kind of ascertain how they responded to fat differences. And then the next one we chopped and had ground product because, you know, a lot of people are chopping and looking at changing the texture, not just have a final grind, right? So we presented that. And then the last one, we did a thinner patty and we did kind of the hand formed and then we did the smash burger type. So a hand formed versus a smash burger. So we did that so that we would have variation, that we'd have some differences. And then we brought 
consumers in that were all of one type. And you and I has developed a mouth behavior selection tool that anybody can go to. Actually, it's kind of fun to go to and you can find out what you are. And so we had consumers do that and we selected people that were crunchers, chewers, smoochers, and suckers. But all the chewers came in together. Then all the smooshers and suckers. So we segmented them by groups. And what I didn't know what to expect, but what was interesting was that they were similar in what they liked and their discussion was really fascinating. And Jennifer was sitting there trying to get them to first think about their perfect hamburger. Each group responded to what was important in their perfect hamburger differently. And she even had them use commercial hamburgers or companies within the Bryan College Station area. Some of them are national, some of them are local. And to tell us what a hamburger at a food service or a restaurant, you know, what was their best, what was their worst, describe their worst hamburger. And there were different criteria. And especially with the suckers and the smushers versus the crunchers and the chewers. And so that was the first thing that really made me go, okay, there might be something here. These people like different things. One group had a national account product at the very bottom as their worst hamburger. And the next group had it as one of their best hamburgers. And there was one that didn't even have it on there. They say they'd never go and eat there. I'm like, oh. And so as you walk through that experience, it was obvious that there were differences in expectations for these consumers. And Jennifer wasn't too surprised because she's done this for years, right, with all kinds of food products. But I'm sitting there going, oh, boy, there is something here. And I think that was my first surprise. And then my next surprise is she talked them through what were the biggest drivers for them as far as when they ate a hamburger, what they liked. And that also differed. So we were really after texture and how it responds in the mouth. And Jennifer's a professional. She's awesome. And she can lead them into that. But I tell you what, there's one group. And you can't get away from basically tenderness and toughness. For the other ones, almost all of them talked about juiciness as being important. But the other groups didn't talk about tender and tough. They talked about falling apart in the mouth and flavor and all this. But this one group, let me tell you, tenderness is important. Now, that's good news, right? But what it told me is we have been spending years on ground beef research and we do hardness or we do muscle fiber tenderness or springiness or compression, we aren't measuring the right things. Yeah, those things are important for some consumers, but for other consumers, there are other aspects that we haven't touched on. And I just was blown away by that. And the other thing that was interesting is all this research currently, now we're about ready to start the part where I'll do my trained panel work. But uh, the work that we've done up to this point has just been consumer qualitative work where you, you know, you talk to the consumers and I'm a numbers person. I'm not used to that. I go, we once in a while do a focus group or one-on-one interviews and we don't know how to look at that data because that's where my mindset is. And I'm sitting there going, oh my goodness. And I wanted to be start taking notes. And when Jennifer showed me how to put that information together, which she did, It really helped me to see, having heard the consumers, 
watched the consumers and looked at how she reports the data, how it really is reflective of the differences between the groups. So I learned something. It's always fun to learn something, right? (laughs) Well, yeah. Well, what are the implications then that this research has for processors in terms of how beef is processed or ground? I think one of the things that's always, I guess, been fun for me and having been in product development and industry and had a lot of clients that always want something a little different. And, you know, you look in the media, we all love our burgers, don't we? And the perfect burger. Oh, you know, what is the perfect burger? Well, this told us the perfect burger is different for different people. Yeah, I can remember the first time I went to to the food expo and saw the farmers that made the balls and then rolled them and then smashed them to try to produce a more handmade patty. And that was one of the big things that year. That was their big rollout. And that was great. And so then everybody started going that way. But yet we still sell a lot of patties are just machine formed and when I was in industry, we tried, we had plates that were kind of hand, looked like a hand, had a, I mean, all kinds of things, right? And to try to get that texture, we chop, we change grind size, we change raw material sources, all those things. And we always think that there's one star up there that we're shooting for. Well, there aren't. There isn't one star. There are multiple stars. And it's probably why one of the groups, they didn't like the smash type burger, the thinner burgers that you cook and then you smash as they're cooking. That wasn't acceptable to them. They wanted a thicker burger. They wanted, they didn't mind the hand form burgers as long as, because they didn't want them to fall apart in their mouth, but they didn't want one that was too hard or too tough to chew through some. And then one group, the chewers, you would think they're like, it has to have some bite to it. Then the next night, the crunchers are like, it needs to crunch, but it better fall apart after it. So they don't want the same thing. You know, and here we are, we've been targeting towards this one thing, this perfect burger, right? So I think that's one thing that is really important that processors understand their market. And I'm going to tell you, we had a lot of discussions about the major food chain hamburgers, and I don't really want to get into all of that, but nobody put McDonald's at the top as the hamburger they liked the best, and that was the perfect hamburger. They didn't tend to trash it either. But when you ask them about McDonald's hamburgers, they're consistent, they're cost effective, and they're fast and convenient. And they're always the same. So, you know, we're not saying that everybody has to change what they're doing, but we're trying to help the industry start looking not just at one star, but how multiple consumer segments could be reached and satisfied. Well, what about plant-based proteins that are trying to emulate the texture and taste of meat? You know, what does mouth behavior tell us about those efforts? Julie, that's such an excellent question because I actually talked at the emerging plant protein meetings about texture evaluation in alternative protein products. And that was before we did this study because I've done a, had colleagues who do research in that area. And texture is one of the biggest challenges that they face, making it have that meat-like bite. We, on the flavor side, we have lots of alternatives to try to get the beef flavor there. Yeah, not that it's easy, but there are lots of flavor houses and flavor ingredients. On the texture, 
Most of these people are taking an extruded, rehydrated component and then placing it into a ground product and adding seasonings and then grinding it and forming it into a patty. And that meat-like bite, that's what I talk to them about. You've got to get the meat-like bite first. And then the question is, well, what bite do you want but you need something that's going to crisp up a little bit on the edges, that's going to stay moist. And one of the things that our consumers and all four of the groups told us with the 27% fat versus 7% fat, you know, they don't know why they like the 27% better. They perceive it as juicier, right? And they talk a lot about the juiciness of that product versus the dryness of the lower fat. And so that's part of texture too. And I think that the plant-based protein companies are just coming on board with how they're going to be able to emulate that. I think it's a challenge they're going to have. They're going to have to understand their consumers because their consumers, I don't know what percent of their consumers are smushers versus chewers versus crunchers versus suckers. And they all like something different. And so they need to think about that. Well, and finally, I know that a next step in your research is whole muscle products, meat products. So what are you looking forward to in that aspect of the mouth behavior research? We're going to be doing that this fall. I am so excited because I'm just going to tell you, you and I corporation convinced me, all right, that there are differences. And I'm anxious to see how those differences are expressed in whole muscle. And I think that poultry, we're going to do poultry, pork, and beef. And it wouldn't surprise me that there are different expectations, even like crunchers may want something different from a chicken breast than what they want from a steak. We'll find out. And one of the funny things, I have two of my colleagues here at A&M who are meat scientists. We were in a defense and we had some downtime and we're talking about this because everybody's really interested in it. And one of my colleagues said, yeah, the reason I eat top butts is because they have a little bit more chew to them. They don't just fall apart in your mouth. I never want a tenderloin. I never cook a tenderloin. I never order a tenderloin. Where my other meat science colleague was exactly the opposite. So we started talking about that. And that's why, I mean, we sell tons of top butts, right? And we have variation in tenderness, which is a little bit of issue with top butts. People still buy them and they still like them. And those are probably more like my colleague who wants a little bit of bite. And we have moved, our industries moved so much towards really tender product, which I think is good. That's been part of my past research as well. But I think we're going to find some new nuances about how to merchandise some of those whole muscle cuts that have some inherent differences. And then I think we all think that chicken and beef have the same expectations. And I'm I'm not convinced. I don't know. We're about ready to find out, though. So I'm excited for that. (laughs) Well, that sounds great. And, you know, I want to thank you, Rhonda, for being with us today on Meeting Pod and sharing your expertise. And listeners, you can get even more in-depth insight into the UNI and Texas A&M mouth behavior research in Meeting Place's three-part article series. 
You can find the first article, Chew on This, in our June issue, now available in the digital version of the magazine on our website at meaningplace.com. The second installment, which focuses on ground beef consumption, is just out this month in our August issue. And the final article, which covers the research on whole muscle cuts of beef, poultry, and pork is slated to publish in the December issue of Meeting Place. So something to look forward to. And you can also head over to meetingplace.com and access our technical article archives to get more expert advice first published in our R&D Matters and other science and technology focused newsletters. And also be sure to visit the podcast directory page where you'll find this podcast and the others we've done so far this year. And thanks again, Rhonda. You know, today my husband is is putting some beautiful, super spice rubbed pork loins in the pellet grill. And maybe I should do a little experiment of my own and see if I'm a, I suspect I'm a chewer or a smusher. And I'm going to find out because there's something about that long cooked smoke in the pellet grill that makes every piece of meat he puts in there smooth. It's like smooth chicken or smooth pork. So I'm excited to sort of experiment on myself. (laughs) That's the fun part. And you have to see if you respond the same to the next product that he produces, too. And I'm looking forward to that. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. You've made me hungry. (laughs) Thanks, Rhonda. Thank you so much, Julie. Thanks for spending time with Meeting Pod today. Remember to tune in on Mondays and get the inside track on the people and processes that power the protein supply. Be sure to subscribe to Meeting Pod on Spotify. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow Meeting Place and Altmate magazines on social media, or visit our websites at meetingplace.com and alt-meet.net.